Hello, friends. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Inside the Writer's Cafe. I'm Cheryl Nason. Our show features not only the hottest authors, but we also introduce you to exciting new authors who tell you about themselves and about their latest projects. My guest today is Adrian Martin, and Adrian is talking to us about his new novel, A Boy from Brooklyn. Adrian, welcome. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Adrian. When and how did you start writing? Well, I started writing when I worked uh, for Microsoft. I started writing technical books, and I started thinking about this book a couple of years ago. I was telling people stories about my life, and everybody said the same thing. You should write a book. So I put a series of stories that I lived through, and um, that's how the book formulated. So it's really sort of autobiographical. Very much so. Was there an event or was there a person that inspired you to write the book now? Um, actually, my wife. She uh, was urging me for a long time to put down these stories in writing. And like I said, I wrote a, a series of technical um, books for Microsoft. And I decided to put point that into a life story about myself. And the stories I used to tell people, um, I put those together, the ones that seemed most interesting to people. And that's what I uh, compiled into the book. So it's basically a series of stories from my childhood through uh, the years. Would you give our listeners maybe a favorite example of one of the stories? Um, so I fostered a fear of heights. And that came about when I was about seven years old. Um, my, my friend's sister was babysitting for me and him, and she invited some people over, and these people uh, were considerably older than she was. And when they got to the uh, apartment, they decided to raid the liquor cabinet, got drunk, got out of hand, and started molesting the girl. So my friend intervened and said, you better not do that. Although he was like six and a half, seven years old, same age as me. And basically, uh, they didn't like that. So they tied him up and threw him in a closet. And then they wrapped me in a quilt and hung me out the window with only the pressure of the window holding me up. And considering that we were on the eighth floor of an eight-story building, I was hanging out there looking down, and a crowd gathered, 
and basically um, called police. The police came and basically um, they decided at that point it wasn't wise to open the window. Um, so they called the fire department and they came with a hook and ladder and a fireman came up the ladder and grabbed me and pushed me back through the window. And the two policemen that were there uh, grabbed me and arrested the, the uh, perpetrators. And basically, I hung out the window for roughly 40 minutes and looking down eight floors, knowing if I fell, that would be the end of me right there. Oh, my gosh. So yeah, that was uh, pretty intense. And one of the police officers that responded, um, he lived in the same, uh, the next building in the project that I lived in. Uh, we were in a low-income project, and basically um, he walked me through the process. I had to go to court and all that stuff. And later on, he became my foster father. When my, when my family broke up, he, he and his wife took me in. His son was one of my best friends through school, and they took me in, and I lived with them from that point on. Wow. I'm glad I'm talking to you today. <laughs> I'm, gl I'm glad I'm here to talk to you. <laughs> that must have been... An unbelievable experience for you. Well, it was pretty bad. Um, what was worse is I had to go to court and testify. And again, I was only like six and a half, seven years old. So the guy, my foster father, who became my foster father, was Bill. Um, well, actually, his name was George. And George sat with me at the prosecutor's table, and when I had to go up on the witness stand, I was shaking, and the judge called the recess and got a, a doctor to see if I was all right and all that good stuff. So basically, that worked out fine. The, the perpetrators did get um, a pretty lengthy sentence, um, and they were charged with attempted murder, uh, of me so basically uh, it all worked out fine and again later on he became my foster father George did you have nightmares Adrian after this oh. experience oh I, to, to this day I have nightmares about heights I can't if I'm in a, a high rise building and I walk over to the window and look down I start getting woozy so I, I immediately back away. I still have a fear of heights, but um, it comes and goes. I, I learned to uh, suppress it. Did you have to go through counseling? Some counseling, yes. Some counseling, but not extensive. That's something they thought I had to work out in myself. Sure. And basically... I worked that out when I was in the military. I had to go to jump school. I became uh, a ranger in the uh, army. And um, 
I had to go through uh, jump school. And I don't want to tell you what that was like, because <laughs> I had to look out an airplane and jump out. And I couldn't do it. And the sergeant in charge knew I wouldn't. And he kicked me out the door. So I, I, my first five jumps were me being thrown out, literally thrown out of the airplane. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Amazing. But I managed, I managed to pass jump school because I was informed that in Vietnam everything was in helicopters and I wouldn't be that high up. So um, jumping out of a helicopter from 25 feet on a tether is a lot different than jumping out of a plane 1,250 feet up um, with a parachute. Exactly. Makes it almost easy. I have a little thing about heights myself, Adrian. So I'm sitting here trying not to hyperventilate as you're talking about the. <laughs> You've got a kindred spirit on this side of the microphone. Thank you. When you wrote your book... I've, go ahead. Go ahead. You, you're going to ask? I was going to ask you, when you wrote your book, when you were writing it, did you have somebody in mind that you were writing it for, a specific audience, or did you just I, write it in general? I wrote it for people that may have been in a similar situation than me growing up, and maybe uh, they were in the military, and I went on to be a police officer in New York. Um, so I try to write it with that venture, thinking of the men and women in the military and law enforcement, how they would feel about it and what they may have gone through. This came, a lot of the book came from interviews. I used to fly around the world a lot for Microsoft and other computer companies that I worked for. And I used to sit um, next to people and if I knew they were in the military or something like that, I would talk to them about that or just in general about life itself and some of the situations they may have gone through to see if I lived the same situations that they did or similar. And I tried to incorporate that into my stories. So I went on to hours and hours of uh, interviews with people in the military, in the police force, and just people in, in general. Growing up, I was very poor. My family was very, very poor. And so we lived in bad housing. Um, my life started off in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And that was, at that time, the worst neighborhood in New York. Now, believe it or not, it, it's million dollar condos on the same street that I grew up on because the street ended at the Williamsburg Canal and across the canal was the Brooklyn Navy Yard and the Schaefer Brewery. So basically um, 
my sister and I were not allowed out of the house because the crime was lurking everywhere. So we weren't allowed out of the house. So we played on the roof of a garage that was next to the apartment that we lived in. And the apartment that we lived in was on top of a luncheonette. Um, and basically the window opened up onto the garage roof and that's where we played. So we weren't really allowed out in the street by ourselves unless our father or some other adult was, was with us. You are a good storyteller. I can see the image of you playing on the roof of this garage. And when you said, I can see you just crawling out the window and playing on top of that garage, safe, but not able to really well, go anywhere. The only toy I had, we were so poor that we couldn't afford anything. So my uncle, Jess, he owned that building and the garage next door. So he bought me a red fire truck, the one, the kind that you sit in and uh, pedal. Yes. So I had that. That was, that was my only toy. Growing up, um, we didn't have money for food, let alone toys. So basically, uh, that's the way we grew up until we moved to the project. And once we moved to the projects, it was deemed that it was safer there. But we were mistaken because um, when I was around seven, eight years old, I was uh, in my fire truck in front of the building we lived in, and these two guys came up, and they were like 15, 16 years old, and they couldn't fit in the uh, fire truck. It was made for kids. So they started breaking it up, banging it up, and all that stuff. So I started to learn what fear was about because um, I couldn't do anything about it except to cry. And they were taunting me for that. So basically, um, that was uh, my childhood. I was sort of a victim of any of the bullies that uh, felt like they wanted to pick on somebody and they knew I wouldn't fight back. So basically that's the way I grew up. I was, um, I had the advantage of being in the SP, which is uh, the accelerated students. We skipped kindergarten and went right to the first grade. And kids were older, at least by a year, sometimes more than that, because it was a really bad neighborhood, so uh, kids were left back. You know, they were basically born criminals, and they were in gangs, things of that nature, so they, they wanted easy pickings. So they would pick on me and my brother, and uh, so on. So I learned to be a victim until I learned how to fight back. Uh, my gym teachers felt sorry for me, me because they knew I was getting picked on. So um, they owned a, a karate school and they taught me karate. And as I got progressed in it, I got a black belt 
It was uh, Shiran Ru, which is Korean karate. The same uh, karate that Chuck Norris is uh, a master of. And basically, um, I got to second degree black belt and I started dishing out. So there's a chapter in my book called How a Bully is Built. And it starts off, you're a victim and then you become a savior. That's the cycle, you're a victim, a savior, and then you become a bully. So basically that's the cycle I went through. Um, I started victimizing the bullies that bullied me. So um, as time progressed, I um, got thrown out of high school, even though I was an A student, for violence and um, that's when I got drafted but I didn't want to really get drafted because if you get drafted you're in the infantry and that means you stomp in the jungle and you're, you're going to be the first ones they shoot so I asked the uh, sergeant there must be some way out of this and he said yeah and this for three years he said I'll let you out of the draft so I enlisted, and that's uh, how I became uh, an airborne ranger. I signed up for everything there was in the army for training, hoping that the war would be over by the time I was uh, finished my training, but it wasn't. And I wound up in uh, Vietnam, and uh, was there for about a year and a half doing black ops and uh, then I got shot and um, so I was dismissed from the uh, military and flown over to Tokyo where I had to go undergo a series of surgeries to repair my hand because my hand didn't function after that and uh, basically um, through the years, they developed surgeries that fixed my hand, but that's that's how I got through the military, and I, the way I got into the police force, my father, foster father, was a lieutenant and a precinct commander, and very well known in, in, in NYPD. So he pulled some strings. When my future didn't look very bright, my hand was paralyzed and I couldn't do anything. And uh, I didn't even have a high school diploma at that time. And um, I got my high school diploma in the military, uh, an equivalency diploma. And um, then I went on after that, I went to college and went to grad school and got a pretty much PhD in uh, computer science. And that's how I wound up in the computer industry. But wow. That came, that came because of the police force. I signed up to become a criminalist, um, crime scene investigator. And you gotta take biology and stuff like that. So I took all, all the bio classes and found out I was uh, eligible for pre-med. So I um, signed up to that, and as soon as uh, 
I got some money. I was uh, able to continue my college. And basically in the uh, graduate years, I taught my way through college. I did lectures for uh, professors for lower level classes, like the 1.0 classes. And in exchange, they would let me take classes for more advanced stuff. And I got my degrees in that, in computer science and mathematics. What a story you have, yeah. Adrian. And it's all reflected in your book? Yes. All of that is spelled out in great detail in my book. The I'm years I grew up, the kind of anxiety I went through, fear that the school day were ending and they were going to be waiting outside for me. So I worked out with the teachers that I could leave a few minutes early just to get out of there before the gangs were on the corners waiting to pick on people. Wow. So I tried to avoid them as, be as much as I could. I'm sure that our listeners are captivated by the sound of the book just from listening to you talk about it today. Let's tell them where it's available. I've been to Amazon, and they can go to the regular Amazon.com, and they can put in the search feature at the top of the page the name of the book is A Boy from Brooklyn by Adrian A-D-R-I-E-N Martin M-A-R-T-I-N <clears throat> excuse me T-I-N and if they click on that book search feature it will take them right to your book and they can read an excerpt right there where else yes. is the book available Adrian? in Barnes & Noble. So they can go to the Barnes & Noble website and basically do the same kind of search and find it right there. Yes. Are you doing a website? Um, it's under construction at this point. It's not completed yet, but it will be soon, uh, probably within the next month. Perfect. And if they want to know more about you, and if you're going to do any social media, they could go to the Author House website and find you on Author House, and they could find out more information about you. Is that correct? Yes. That will be forthcoming as well. You know, this is such a powerful book. I wonder what message you would like to leave with our listeners about your book. Let's say they pick it up and they read it and they close the back cover for the last time. What do you want them to take away from your book? I want them to know that no matter what they went through in life, you can rise above it. And as I did, I started off dirt poor and working for every major computer company. After I left the police force, I excelled at that and I was very successful at that. 
And I want the readers to know that no matter what they went through in life, you can rise above it. And the rewards of rising above it are greater than, than the sadness and their past may have brought them. And they can live through it and get around it. I, I started out writing the book addressed to bullies or addressed to victims of bullies that may have been tortured when they were in school, picked on and whatever. And it's just a phase in life and you can rise above it. You don't have to be a victim of it all your life. And it's also a tribute to the brave men and women of the military and law enforcement that protect our way of life and protect us. And that is what the future holds for you if you want it. You don't have to be a victim all your life. Well, I want to thank you for several things. First of all, thank you for your service in Vietnam. Secondly, thank you for your service in the NYPD. And last, thank you for taking time to talk with us today here on Inside the Writer's Cafe. It's been a pleasure. Cheryl, it's been a genuine pleasure. Our time is up, and we'd like to thank you for yours. Remember, pick up that good book, and remember to read.